This is not a story of heroic feats, or merely the narrative of a cynic. At least I do not mean it to be. It is a glimpse of two lives running parallel for a time, with similar hopes and convergent dreams. The enormity of our endeavor escaped us in those moments. All we could see was the dust on the road ahead and ourselves on the bike, devouring kilometers in our flight northward. It says dirtbags in the title, we can do what we want. This is the Enlightened Dirtbags Podcast. My name is Jonah Condro. And I'm version two. In the first season of our podcast, we'll be discussing seven books about motorcycles. We're glad you're here. Let's turn some pages. Which book are we doing today? Let's start off with that. And then I, and then I got a question I got to ask you. Uh-oh. Today we are doing The Motorcycle Diaries, Notes on a Latin American Journey by Ernesto Che Guevara. Okay, so you had already mentioned that uh, this is like, uh, I guess, our third podcast. I guess this is the second episode that we're doing, like, when we're going to focus on a specific book, and that's The Motorcycle Diaries by Che Guevara. So one thing that I wanted to ask you before we jump into this book and get discussing uh, Che's work here. So, like, when you take notes, do you actually, like, annotate the physical pages of the book, or, or do you just, like, do all of that in a separate notebook? I've started like adding pages to my notes and I've also make notes in the book. I'm kind of all over the place to be honest with you. And this one's a little bit unique because I read this book through twice drunk. So, I'm kind of all over the place. <laughs> so, I did I did go back kind of what I did with this one the first time through. I read through it all and I would just put stars beside the paragraphs that I thought were like I'm going to want to go back and get something out of this because I was like my current state of mind. Like I'm drunk reading this fucking book. I'm probably not going to get everything I want out of this paragraph or I'm not quite going to have the the thoughtfulness to really dive into it. So I was like, okay, well, I'll put a star beside every paragraph that I think really has something here and then I'll go back later and kind of dig some notes out of it. But then I went back later drunk again. So, <laughs> so I went back through the second time and then started adding notes into my notebook. But I went back a third time as well uh, on my flight home from work this time around and went and uh, started kind of breaking down each paragraph and adding more thorough notes into my notebook. But it is still kind of a gong show because I have notes in both and I got to get it all in one place. But it's a working process. Progress? Work in progress. <laughs> This is a very rich read. Absolutely. And even when I was going through like the introduction, I believe it was his daughter who, uh, who said like, you know, go back and reread some of the passages. Right. Cause like some of it, some of it is like the way that it's sort of organized in diary entries. You can just like go back and read a diary entry. And I think you could like read it separate from the entire work. That's one aspect that I really enjoyed because I got the sense that I was reading like a bunch of Polaroid snapshots. Right. Like if his if his trip with uh, Alberto Granado was just like a series of like the Polaroid snapshots, like those old school camera like printouts that you you could get, right? 
that was like very much like the sense that I got. Like it was sort of, it wasn't necessarily compartmentalized, like each sort of entry, but it was very much like you could appreciate each diary entry, each section, each little snippet, each little vignette together as a whole or just on its own, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and he has like a couple letters to his mother in there as well that kind of sum up their own portion of the adventure that you could have read separately and, and picked up on it. And I actually really like this for this book for our podcast because there's a lot of books on the writings of Che Guevara, right? And this one kind of specifically just covers this first trip, which is the trip with the motorcycle. So it's it's kind of perfect. Instead of covering all of Shay's adventures and how he became this, you know, revolutionary character in the world, it's just this motorcycle trip, which fits pretty well into what we're doing here. But the thing I like the most about it is it's cool to read this book and this is, you know, Shay before he's Shay. He's Ernesto Guevara. Before he becomes this, you know, this huge symbol for Cuba. Yeah, you know? like before he was radicalized, right? Yeah, and like he's in he's like I mean he's a doctor, right? Or almost a doctor. I think they said he had like a year before he was done his schooling. And he is kind of like a respectable character, but also through his adventures with his friend, he's kind of like a degenerate also, you know? So we see him, like I went to Cuba when I was 15, and I remember seeing these huge buildings, like big apartment buildings with his face painted like 10 stories high. And you're like, oh, this is this idol for the Cuban people. But you read this and you're like, hey, he's just a young guy on a road trip with his buddy. Like, it it's kind of a, a different side than what you would imagine, right? If you were reading like a, a book, a history book on his character, you would get all of the political stuff he did, right? You wouldn't really get the taste of this guy on a road trip with a friend and just doing shit that you would do when you're two broke guys on a motorcycle trip, you know? And it's very hard to read this book and read it separately from the greater history of Shea, right? Because you know he meets Castro and his brother in Mexico, and you know that he joins... You know, he's radicalized, becomes a revolutionary, yeah. and essentially helps, in one way or another, bring Castro into power, right? And whatever side of the sort of political fence or the historical fence you want to lean on, whether that was a good thing or, or a bad thing, you can't you can't read this book and sort of like push all that knowledge to the side because you know who he becomes, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it was a very interesting read because you know that that stuff's coming down the pipe, right? And the thing is, is like the person who you're sort of like uh, Shay and uh, to a lesser extent, Alberto, you're on this motorcycle trip with Shay and he's very much sharing his experience with you. He doesn't know his own future yet, but we know, right? So it's almost like this case of like dramatic irony where it's like us as the audience member knows something that the character doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah. And so it was very, it's a very sort of like interesting sort of like sort of journey that you're on as like a reader, as an audience member, as you go through Shay's motorcycle diaries. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you kind of see some foreshadowing there with um, his treatment of the people in the leper colonies. You know, you see he's dealing with these people that are suffering and going through really hard times. These people that have been treated like shit. Like when he goes to these colonies, it, they talk a lot about how the facilities they're in are just garbage. You know, like the government's not helping with these facilities and the people can't be treated correctly. And they talk a lot about how people kind of worry about like 
catching leprosy, right? So for when him and Alberto go into these um, facilities and kind of treat them like real human beings, that's kind of the first uh, little glimpse you get of who he becomes. You know, he an idol and a uh, a leader for these downtrodden people, like suffering from poverty down the road. But you see it the way he treats the people in, in the leper colonies, you know, just treating them like human beings and not, you know, not being afraid of their situation and all of that, like kind of this idol to them. And, you know, they get like a round of applause regularly at these places and people are like in tears, thanking them for just treating them like people, you know, and you kind of see this like glimpse of, of Che Guevara, this like a man of the people, you know, but on a small scale. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. So like, there's sort of like a couple little moments where you sort of get like a taste of like Shay's racism towards like African Americans, right? And it's like very, it's almost like a throwaway moment. Like I think he uses like the word indolent to like describe like some black people that he encounters. And it's like, they don't really, I can't, I, I can't think of the passage, but, and I'm going to butcher this paraphrase, but basically Shay's like, yeah, they don't shower and bathe, so they're lesser human, right? Yeah. And you're like, wait a second. That's like, Shay, you're being racist right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But well, on the flip side, right? Like you just like you just mentioned, he's in these leper colonies and he's like treating these people in a very humanizing way, even like just shaking their hands when other people would be afraid to, you know, make physical contact with yeah. uh, with a leper, right? It's kind of cool to see like even someone that is, you know, we look at, well, I mean depends what side you're on. Um, but people would generally look at as like a hero for, you know, these people suffering from poverty in these southern southern countries but he still has his own prejudice you know like (laughs) but everyone's like that you know but we always get this like idolized image of people especially someone like him and it's cool to see like well he is still just a human you know he does look down on certain people also that uh that word you just said like idolize i just want to take like a step back and like when was like the first time you saw that iconic image of shea you know where it's like his head you know that that famous photo of with Shea? the hat with the red star. Yeah, like that when from, when when was the first time you encountered that? That for me was in Cuba. Like I went with my family when I was fifteen, and it was cool to see because it was a new thing to me. Like I didn't know anything about him, and then you're it's you're just so immersed in it. You know, like he's a hero to those people. And like I said, there's just huge paintings of him on the wall everywhere you go. They sell. I bought one of those hats. Although okay. the hat with yeah. the red star on it for whatever reason, you know, I'm 15, I got long hair, you know, just this weird hippie metalhead kid. And I'm like wearing one of these fucking hats and shit, but cause it's, you just get caught up in the excitement of like this revolutionary and all of this shit, you know, but that was my first exposure to it. So I remember I was visiting a friend. I was probably like 13 or 14 years old. I might've been a little bit older, but I was definitely a teenager. Right. And my buddy had a poster up in his, his basement room. Right. Right. And I remember like looking at it and I thought it was like, had something to do with the band Rage Against the Machine, right? Right. And like, in a way, I think like the history and the myth of Che Guevara and and like what Rage Against the Machine is like sort of politically, like I don't want to make this about Rage Against the Machine. I think they're definitely tied, but I was just like, I didn't know any better at the time. I was like, does that have something to do with Rage? And then my buddy was like, no, he was like this Cuban revolutionary. And, you know, he kind of gave me like the the cliff notes version of Shay's history. Right. And that was sort of like the first time I was like, Oh, interesting. Right. And I mean, it is, it's does tie together though. Like people standing up against the oppressive powers of the United States kind of thing. Right. Like, which is rage does sing a lot about that. 
It would be. It would actually be interesting if you could ask Shay now what his opinion of Rage is. Oh, you know, of the like, band. Yeah, if he would have any thoughts on that. Like time machine, go back. Yeah, yeah. Bring Shay to the future. Okay, listen to all these albums. Go to a few concerts. Right, right. Then let us know what you think. Then we're going. Then we're going to send you back to Bolivia before you get assassinated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> again. I'm really excited about about doing a podcast about this book because I kind of have a unique relationship with it. Yeah, let's hear it. Man. Um, it's funny because, like I said, I read this book twice drunk. I was on vacation. I was down in Mexico, so I'm like laying on a beach or on a pool chair in the sun, or like for a while was just reading it. Like when all the other bars stopped serving, I would be at the night bar. So there's music playing, you know, live music or music playing over the speakers or whatever. And I'm just sitting at the bar reading a book. And uh, I got a lot of interesting questions. It attracted a lot of attention, actually. It was funny just sitting there listening to people talk about me, you know, because they don't think I can hear them or I'm like immersed in the book. And like you'd hear people be like, I wonder what version or what V2 means because they'd see the tattoo on my <laughs> neck, right? <laughs> Stuff like that. They're like, I wonder what book he's reading. And, or people would come up and see that it's like, oh, it's a book by... Ernesto Guevara this guy must speak some Spanish or something it's like none literally at all <laughs> I had a lot of people come up to me and be like Let's just start speaking like a different language and I'm like nope <laughs> sorry don't understand but it's cool so in this book you know they're on this adventure and they're drinking all the time you know they're always trying to swindle people out of their wine there's so many good stories about them trying to like steal wine from people and they have all these like neat tricks to try to like well and he also like breaks it down like their their con to like get yeah. more booze out of yeah. people right like yeah. it's step by step and then and then this is when alberto really sells his him being upset and then yeah yeah know, exactly oh. and yeah it's, it's a great strategy and they said it worked out for them a lot but it's there's these two guys on this adventure, drinking all the time, meeting people from all kinds of different countries and whatever. And so during COVID times right now, when I'm on vacation, like normally you go to a resort and it's just a bunch of white people from around the world, like doing the resort thing. But when I went this time, like there was a ton of people from other parts of Mexico that were there to like, A, get away from the heat because wherever they live is just the desert. So they go to the beach because it's like 27 degrees or people from like Italy and Spain and Colombia and all these different places. And I would be sitting there reading the book and then the night bar would close and somebody would come up to me and be like, hey, we're going to go pool all of our beers from our mini fridge and then go down to the beach. And so I'd be sitting down on the beach with people from all over the world, often that don't even speak English. So there was times like I was sitting down on this huge beach blanket with like people from Italy, Spain and Colombia, and they don't even all speak the same languages. So for us to talk sometimes had to be translated twice, you oh. know, like go to somebody that speaks English and Spanish and then they would say it to somebody else in Spanish who could say it to somebody that speaks, you know, Portuguese or whatever it is. And so I'm reading this book about this guy on this adventure, you know, drinking all the time and meeting people from different countries and just kind of learning what it's like, the difference in cultures and communication. And here I am in a different country reading this book, getting drunk and always talking to people from different countries. You know, like <laughs> I was like, this is kind of a, a unique connection in a way to, to relate to this guy. And so, like, I even have, there's in the back of my book, there's a phone number and a signature. Because uh, there was a Spanish girl that tried to talk to me while I was there, and, like, I don't speak any Spanish. And I'm, like, sitting at the bar, and she's trying to talk to me, and I'm, like, I don't really understand. I'm just trying to read this book. And, like, we're both pretty drunk. And she, like, writes her phone number, in the, like, just grabs my pen, because I have my notebook in my book there with my pen. And she grabs my pen, flips to the back of the book, and like writes her phone number down. It's you can't read it. It's so messy. And then instead of writing her name under it, she just like signed it. 
<laughs> so I can't, I guess I have, in a sense, a signed version of this book. <laughs> just <laughs> not signed by the author. <laughs> it's like, this book is just so funny. Like, my drunk notes, some drunk Spanish girl's phone number and signature. Like, it's just such a, it's such a gong show this time. But it was just cool to read it and be like, you know, read a, a few paragraphs about him, like, you know, sheltering in at some random person's house and the language barriers and culture barriers and whatever and then like closing the book up and going down to the beach with people from all over the world and like translating languages and just drinking together and all that because it is quite often in the book the thing that brings people together is either like a lack of money or drinking you know that's always there's so many scenarios where people get together in the book to sit around and get drunk and i was like this is it's just kind of a cool connection. You know, I kind of had a neat relationship with this book. I got a, like sort of like uh, a question that I wanted to throw you out. Do you think this book's title is a little bit clickbait? And let me explain to you what I mean about that. So it's called The Motorcycle Diaries, Notes on a Latin American Journey, right? But like the motorcycle, they like crash it. The Ponderosa 2, they call it, right? right? Uh, which translates to The Mighty One. That's right. It's like The Mighty One 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a boxing combination. Yeah. So like they got the Ponderosa 2 and it's a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a Norton, right? Yeah, Norton 500. That's right. They crash this bike over, like it's just him and his buddy, it's Shay and Alberto and they crash it like dozens of times, right? Yeah, I think one day there was like nine crashes in a day. Yeah. Like they were trying to get through the dunes at one point and crashed six times just yeah. trying to get through the sand. <laughs> you know, and then like the brake would quit working or like something would fuck up on it right and so like it's quite early in the book that they essentially like have to scrap this motor like it's beyond repair yeah at one point right and like alberto like famously cries yeah when the motorcycle's getting shipped off right i could really connect with that i was yeah. like this is my kind of guy <laughs> but it happens so early and then sort of the rest of the book they're either hitchhiking they're riding horses they're on a boat they're on mm. a raft right and then right. finally at the end i think they got to get onto an airplane right so yeah. i'm like my question is is like do you think like this book's title is a little bit clickbait because so much of the so much of what happens in the book there isn't even in a, a motorcycle anymore yeah i guess i can see what you're saying there um and it would be interesting to know like if Shay picked this title or if it's like a publishing company's choice you know like because it's it's his diaries but um it's it was all done afterwards right it's not like he wrote this with the idea of i'm gonna write all this and make a book there's actually a note from him where he says like i actually went back and he added parts to sort of like narrativize it a little bit right right, right. so even him the author right and his and his uh He's looking at his compiled diaries. He sort of adds stuff to sort of like complete or fill mm. in the rest of the narrative, right? Well, and ma- probably make it make sense to the reader a little more because it would have been his notes and it would have been shared with, you know, maybe a friend or family member kind of thing where they would understand the context better. Yeah. You know? So you kind of have to add it because otherwise it's like when you're talking to someone that you don't know their friends group and they talk about their friends as if you know them. Yeah. Like I don't, there's some previous story here or something, something about this character that I like, you know, we haven't done the character building yet for me to understand what's going on. Yeah. So like he does reflect on uh, the girlfriend that he's delivering the dog to and stuff like that. There is bits in there that kind of add context for you to get it a little bit more. But one thing I think that helps with the title is the fact that the entire trip 
started with them sitting in the garage working on the bike. And that's when the plan came up. And he's like, we should go to North America. And he's like, like uh, Alberto was like, we should go to North America. And he's like, how? And he's like, on the Ponderosa, man. (laughs) You know, and I, I loved that moment. That's another way that I can really relate to this because I have a, a motorcycle trip to Brazil planned and that's how it started. You know, I'm in the garage with my buddy Monty. We're working on the dirt bikes and just kind of tinkering and hanging out. And I like kind of pitched the idea of going to Brazil and it just kind of snowballed into this. Well, we'll ride the bikes down there and we'll do all this. And, and while we were working on it, his neighbor, a couple doors down comes over. I think he's from like Panama or something like that. Originally, he comes over and he's like, hey, guys, I got this dirt bike that doesn't want to start. You want to come over and like give me a hand with it? I see you guys have like six dirt bikes in here. Uh, you clearly know what you're doing or we're just faking it really well. And uh, so we go over to help him with his dirt bike and we get it running and we get talking to him. And he's saying that, oh, he wants to go down and do a trip to like South America or Brazil or whatever. And we're like, man, we were just talking about this, you know, just sitting in the garage working on bikes and coming up with plans. And this guy had been doing the same thing in his front yard, working on his bike, thinking about doing a trip down there. But his is a dirt bike. So he moves pianos for a living. So he has this big dually Mercedes sprinter van that he planned on just like hanging a hammock in, putting his dirt bike in there and driving down there. And so now just through this connection of like, you're working on bikes, I'm working on a bike, I need a hand. We made this plan. And then we met this other guy who wants to drive down there. And it's kind of around the same time, you know, like a couple years from now, because you need a long time to plan it. And now we have this third person that now like we can throw the luggage in his van and we can ride down there and he can drive. And then when we get down there, unload his bike and uh, just rip around, you know? So it's the spirit of like that moment where you're just sitting around pulling wrenches on bikes and you're like, we should ride these somewhere. Like that really hit home for me. Cause I don't get the sense that Shay and Alberto really thought a lot of this through. Like, don't get me wrong. They're, they're both very intelligent men because I think Alberto may have been done his medical degree at that point. I can't, I can't remember what his status was, but Shay was definitely not done med school yet, whatever that looked like. Yeah, in. Shay was one year away from finishing med school. And I th- Alberta had been working in a hospital. He They mentioned early on that he had just quit his job and moved to a different hospital, and he was kind of bitching about it right. when, when they made the plan that he was like, ah, I don't really like it, and that's kind of why he wanted to do a trip. He's like, I don't <laughs> like this job anymore, whereas Shay had just been working a job that he really liked. But they actually, it's funny that you say that they didn't really plan it out because I wish I could remember the page number, but early on, like right after they talk about how it all came together, he goes, the trip pretty much stayed to the initial plan that we had come, that we had set our mind on, improvised. Yeah. You know, like they just, they planned that it's not really going to be planned. Like we're going to go down there and just do it as it goes, which is how I love traveling on the bike. You know, for me working two weeks on, two weeks off. When I go riding, I usually like riding alone because if I go with friends, it's like they've got a weekend off. So we have to have a schedule. We know where we're going to go and we got to be there and back within a certain amount of time. Whereas when I'm on my own, I can go down and the amount of times I've been like sitting in a small little divey pub talking to some locals wherever I'm at. And uh, they're like, oh, where are you going? Because I see the Canadian flag on the bike. I'm like, where are you going? I'm like, oh, my end destination is here, but I don't really have a plan. I'm kind of going to take this route. And they're like, oh, instead, you should go this way because this is like a way cooler route or like maybe that mountain's shut down because of snow or whatever it is. And you can just be like, cool, I'm going to take that way. 
you know, when I got my neck tattooed down in Iowa, the artist that did it, I told him loosely the way I was going back. And he's like, no, 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 this other road is way more fun on a motorcycle. Like go this way. I've got friends along that route. So here's my phone number. If you like run into trouble, we can get you parts or gas or whatever it is. Cause he's like, it's way more isolated. And just that spirit of like improvised motorcycle trips is so cool. I mean, for me now it's a lot easier with a phone and whatever, but for these two guys, like it's such an impressive adventure, you know, on this old Norton 500 for one, like riding a Norton 500 <laughs> through the dunes and they're not going to have a paddle tire on it or probably not even that much for off-road tires. Yeah, like, it's no. likely they're riding a street tire here. Like this isn't, this isn't like a motorcycle that, this isn't like a dirt, this isn't like a proto dirt bike or anything like yeah, this. This, this is like a dual sport. This is know? a 500 CC <laughs> Norton Mike meant for the roads in England, you know? Yeah, exactly. And they've got two guys on it. They even admit in the book that uh they're the way they packed it was pretty terrible like they kind of credit some of the crashes to their poor packing and yeah. imbalance of the bike so you get two guys on a 500 riding through dunes with like poor packing like it's it's no wonder they crash so much but it's so cool that they're just like they crash and they're like okay well we'll get back on it and off we go again you yeah. know like it's so impressive that they made this journey and that the bike made it as far as it did yeah like, and they talk about like having to leave it a couple times to go get parts or like getting stuck in a town for like a week because they couldn't get something for the bike or whatever. And didn't they run out of fuel too at one point? A or, couple times, I think. Yeah. yeah. So like anything really that sort of can afflict you while you're riding a motorcycle, like yeah, they got Shay and Alberta sort of encounter whether it's like flat tires or yeah, it was just. And at the end, this poor motorcycle, you know, like. And there'd be way less examples of people doing these trips. Like nowadays, like for my Brazil trip, I can go online on YouTube and watch people that have done this before. The routes they took, the people they met, the things they learned along the way. I can get pretty a pretty good idea of what I'm going to need and how I'm going to tackle it. These guys were just like, yeah, let's do this trip. Yeah, like what was it, 1952? Yeah, something I think. like that. Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, there wouldn't have been a lot of examples uh, none of the other books we have coming up this season of like long motorcycle trips happened this early. They were all after this, right. you know? So it's, it's neat to think that, you know, Shay became this revolutionary, but these guys are also kind of pioneers in the motorcycle world of doing a trip like this yeah. and the troubles you're going to run into. And I mean, obviously from a sense of a motorcycle adventure, far less successful than most because the bike doesn't make it. But uh, from the sense of just an actual adventure itself, it's hugely successful. Well, just to throw back to Richard Hammond's book, The Brief History or Very Short History of the Motorcycle. I can't remember Short what because he's short. That's right. Short History that. of the Motorcycle. Uh, he was saying like a lot of those uh, TT races, mm -hmm. um, a lot of those bikes didn't even finish. Right. Right. So, I mean, sort of like take that sort of attitude with Shea and Alberto. Like, yeah, like the bike didn't actually make it because... That's just how difficult it was going, right? It's not like you just had paved highway yeah, the yeah. entire way, right? Well, especially not down there. <laughs> like, you know, you it's probably very rare that they were on any pavement, you know? So, and like, you're on a Norton bike down there. Good luck getting parts. Like a lot of it they talk about doing with like tie wire and stuff. Like this bike is a Frankenstein. By the time they got rid of it, it would have been quite beat up. But it'd be interesting to know what happened to the bike. Like... A lot of these these bikes people do these trips on, um, you know, Robert Persig's in uh, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. It's in the Smithsonian now. The bike that, uh, I don't remember, uh, Ted Simon in Jupiter's Travels, the first trip he does, his bike is in a museum in England, I believe. You know, so a lot of these bikes end up in a museum, but this one is just 
gone somewhere. Like maybe it's scrap, you know, somebody crushed it by now or whatever, but it, it would be cool to see if somebody has that bike out there still, just like this iconic motorcycle and probably more iconic than any other because of what this trip did to Shea and how it revolutionized all those countries down there. Do you think there's something about riding a motorcycle that sort of like lends some impetus to becoming a revolutionary? And I guess what I'm getting at is maybe not so much today, but definitely in the history of riding a motorcycle, it seems like it's a very liberal thing to do, right? Mm. Because you're not really constraining yourself to these sort of common modes of transportation, right? And it, I guess what I'm sort of indirectly referencing is like that film Easy Rider, right? Where right. they would have been like outsiders, you know? Whereas now doing something like that or even like, your future plans on going to Brazil on a motorcycle, that's not that far-fetched. But when, when you know, people were, when Shay and Albert were doing this, like, there was no motorcycle diaries before them. They mm-hmm. were the motorcycle diaries, right? Yeah, when we discussed it in the last episode uh, with a short history of the motorcycle, like, how the idea of motorcycle riders becoming, like, outsiders and the way people looked at them likely had something to do with the fact that back then, you know, these bikes weren't built for long trips. They were super unreliable but and you you know the idea of being on a bike and being exposed to the weather and stuff people are like why would you do that to yourself you know you took this inconvenient mode of transportation specifically for the experience and people would have looked at it and been like why you know like it's just inconvenience to you for no real reason that they can understand unless they've done it you know and for these guys not many other people had done it you know, so I think I think you're probably correct. Like you're stepping out of the norm. You're taking on a massive amount of extra struggle for no real reason. Like the trip almost seems like it got easier once they got rid of the bike. It seems that way. So, you know, because now you're like hitchhiking. They ran into their own problems in their own way. But like you can stay somewhere where you don't need to store a bike. You can, you know, sneak onto a boat like they do a couple times, stuff like that. And you don't have to worry about the bike breaking down or lugging the bike with you or getting fuel where you're going next kind of thing, you know? The one thing that I can't really speak to is, like, I know when I'm riding, I have a lot of time. It's almost a meditative experience, right? Like, you have a lot of time to think because you're on the road. You know, you're not... There's nobody else in your vehicle. You know, you're not chatting with anyone. It's just you and the bike, and you're out there just cruising. I don't know if that would have been the case for them because with two guys on this sketchy packed bike it's a constant struggle. Your focus is going to almost entirely be on the bike itself, you know, and riding and not crashing and what do you, what's falling apart. And, you know, you got two guys on this bike, which would be a nightmare, super uncomfortable. Like bikes nowadays are far more advanced and I still don't really like riding double because it's just not comfortable. You know, two grown ass men on this little 500, it would have been so uncomfortable all the time. And they got to pack all their stuff with them. Yeah, exactly. And like we said, you're not on paved roads. So you're constantly focusing on these <laughs> sketchy dirt roads or trails or dunes or wherever you are. Your focus would have been on the road. And I I did notice that a lot of Shay's reflections were written about when, you know, they stopped places and they're like kind of sitting and they have time to actually think because the riding portion is it's you're so consumed by all the things that you have to do to keep this bike going and keep it upright and all of that. Like they don't have the meditative experience of riding that we do. And he kind of becomes a little more poetic and thoughtful once they get rid of the bike because they have more time. You know, you're traveling by bus or boat or whatever, or 
improvised raft at one point. Like they're, they're like I'm pretty sure they're in the Amazon, yeah. an improvised raft in the jungle, like just trying to catch fish, and they end up seven hours too far down the river. Like yeah, I think at, at one point they lose a chicken, like a live chicken, into the river. Yeah, and they didn't want to swim after it. I love that in that moment he like questions his manhood. He's like yeah, questioning right. his manhood for the fact that he didn't dive in after this chicken because he saw alligators. And it's like, I wouldn't be on the fucking raft, man. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't have done that in the first place. Yeah, the, he's already ascended to another level, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, you're doing some very macho, sketchy shit without really even a second thought. Like, when they talk about these people building a raft for them so they can get down the river, that they're like, oh, cool, we have transportation. Like, I would have been like, uh, hold on a second here. You know, <laughs> is this a great idea? But he's like, oh, I didn't dive into this, you know, crocodile infested murky water i'm pretty sure it was like nighttime yeah, after this chicken that the jumped Amazon off our raft. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like, yeah it's pretty funny but i think it goes to show the average level of struggle that they were dealing with compared to us like they're constantly exposed to dangerous scenarios like just being down there like they run into a couple times where they're like staying in like barn houses or whatever with people that just don't like them you know like the farmhands there don't like them for whatever cultural reason or whatever it is, you know? And they talk about having to exploit the fact that they're doctors a couple of times to try to get some credibility because they right, just yeah. look like homeless bums. Or they got uh, letters of reference. Like mm. they really use the uh, letters of reference from other doctors to get introduced to other doctors so that just so they get have a place to stay. Yeah. And even then, a lot of the times they go see these doctors and they're like, mm, no. Yeah. You know? So like they're already dealing with this constant struggle of, of culture and representation and just like shelter, like no plan, you know, like you're not checking into a hotel. Lots of the times they sleep in like a barn or whatever outside. Yeah. Like they sleep in police stations. Yeah. Yeah. Lots like of police military stations. police stations, yeah. and outposts and stuff. Yeah. That actually seemed to work out really well for them quite a few times. And then don't they, they shoot somebody's dog accidentally one time in one of those barn houses yeah, because they, they go, right. to, they go to bed in this barn and like, you know, we, we're not thinking like your shed that you would have at your house nowadays. It's like insulated and completely closes and locks and whatever, like probably not even glass windows, you know, like there's just openings. And they talk about the guy tells them like, yeah, you know, just be careful when you're sleeping tonight because the, there's been sightings of a Jaguar in the area quite a bit lately. And then they get into this, this shed to go to sleep, to sleep on the ground in the shed. And they go to close the door and they realize it's like one of them half barn doors where the top doesn't close. <laughs> and they're like sleeping there. And he said, he's just sleeping with the gun beside him in case this Jaguar shows up. And then something comes scratching at the door and goes to jump over the top and he shoots it and it's the dog. You know? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, yeah, we weren't welcome anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many times where they get there and they're like kind of welcome, but very quickly are not welcome anymore for whatever reason it is, you know, culture, cultural reasons, or they shot someone's dog or they tried to steal all their wine successfully or unsuccessfully. It doesn't always work for them. Yeah. Cause there was one moment where I think they were trying to like bring bottles of wine to like this bush by the river so that they could like, once the party's over, they'll just like go back to the bush and like take all like the stolen wine. Yeah. The one was playing drunk. Like right. really drunk, yeah. and he would try to like every time he snuck off into the bush for a piss, he would sneak a bottle with him. That's right. And he's like, I'm, "I'll take this with me." And then when everyone else went to leave at the end to hop in the truck to leave, the the person that was playing drunk like pretended to pass out, and then Shay is like, "Oh, I'll stay here and 
take care of my friend and you guys don't worry about it. You go on and then they leave and they're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. we got all their wine. And then they run over to the bush and it turns out somebody knew exactly what was happening and took all the wine <laughs> and put it back in the truck and then left. And they're like, ah, shit. <laughs> well, you know, and I think there's like, there's moments of like humor mm -hmm. in this book, right? And it's like, that's something that was sort of refreshing because it's not, it's a super serious book, but it has like these sort of light moments sort of peppered throughout it, right? And I think that was like really helpful that you just weren't on like this socialist crusade throughout the book. And right. that was one of my sort of apprehensions reading this book, especially getting through like the, the introductory portions, because I just didn't want this to be like some communist, Marxist, socialist sort of like super serious, you know, yeah. adventure right where they're just always on about this and that but it was it was very like uh almost jovial at times right which i think i think you would have gotten that like socialist propaganda adventure if it had been written about him you know we kind of have the benefit of the fact that like you said is he doesn't know who he becomes yet yeah so it is it's 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 so lighthearted because it's just written as a young guy. I don't remember how, how old they were. I here. think he was, I think Shay was 25. Yeah. So it's like a couple of young guys on this adventure, just like making it up and having a time and getting drunk and dealing with all kinds of crazy scenarios. Like a lot of firearms get fired off in this, like yeah. in random scenarios, <laughs> one in the bar. Yeah. The drunk guy's trying to pretend that he could like shoot a light, a cigarette with a gun. That's right. That's what it was. He tries to tell him that he could, shoot a bullet so close to your cigarette that he could light it. And then he like throws his hat in the air and tries to shoot it and completely misses <laughs> and just puts a bullet into the wall. Like, you know, it's just this, it's this crazy scenario, but that's, it's funny because like we get humor from that, but in that moment would have been so intense. Oh yeah. You got you a know? drunk guy firing off a gun in yeah. a bar. Like who, who had just proposed to shoot that gun past your face, yeah. you know, like, but it's the way he writes it is very humorous, you know? So it, it was really lighthearted and, and adventurous, which is nice. And, and it doesn't really, like I said, you know, the fact that this is just the motorcycle portion of this adventure rather than the whole of Che Guevara's writings, because later on it does very much kind of once he starts becoming that guy and gets politicized, he's the writing is a lot more serious. So I like that this is just, you know, you don't have to be a historian or really give a shit about politics to appreciate this book. You know, you can just enjoy it as an adventure book. And have a really good time with it. And you do still get, like, in the beginning, like like you said, his daughter writes a section in the preface. And uh, I don't know who it was, but there was another person that wrote, um, like, the foreword and kind of points out some sections and makes some notes about how it reflects on Shay's character eventually down the road. So you do kind of get an idea of where he's going and how he gets there. But for the most part, it is just a genuine adventure book that I really liked. Knowing what we know about Shay and hooking up with Fidel and doing the whole Cuba thing is there's like, it was sort of later in the book when they're at elevation and they're at a couple of different sort of, uh, I guess you'd call like ancient sites, like ancient indigenous sites. And he's pointed out like the defensive strategy in building things a certain way. Oh yeah. And I found that super interesting because I don't think Shay really realizes, uh, the observations, the power of the observations he's making, because he's very much in tune with the militaristic strategy that would have been employed mm -hmm. to build these build these ancient cities, right? And so I think for me that was like sort of a, uh, a strong indicator about 
any sort of militaristic prowess that he would have had, right? That sort of innate sort of uh, sort of way of thinking or that innate ability, and that sort of like peeks its head out in that moment, mm. and so then you can sort of see like, oh, okay. I get it, right? Like he does kind of have this natural ability. I think so. Yeah. And you know, I think there's I think you could make like an argument for, you know, just the way that he was thinking about how these cities were sort of laid out and that, you know, it's no wonder that he became like a higher up with Fidel, right? Well, yeah, and they do say that kind of once he got, you know, tied in with the Cuban military and whatnot, it it's not just the fact that he's like a good speaker or whatever, because there's a lot of people in history that that revolutionized or like got people together that were just good speakers, you know, and that was it. But with him, like he got into the military and they say he was just naturally really good at it and moved up through the ranks very quickly, which with those people would have, would have, uh, given him a lot of respect. So, and like, like you said, you do see it like just through his own reflections on these old civilizations without even knowing that that ability, what that ability is going to mean for him later on. Another section I really liked in this, is when one of the first places they stay, one of Alberto's friend's houses, and the friend really welcomes them, but the wife doesn't really understand. Like, I think they say she seems kind of threatened by their, like, bohemian persona and whatever. And she asks them, she goes, like, what are you guys doing this for? Like, there's you're one year away from finishing medical school and being doctors, and you're just like, this seems like a good time to do this crazy adventure and she just doesn't she can't understand why you would do it i thought that was a cool point to think about like there's a why in the road and they could have if they hadn't done this adventure it would have completely changed history you know if they had just stayed in medical school and become doctors this never would have happened you know it it could have changed a lot of things of the history of cuba but just because they said you know what we're gonna go on this adventure and just see what doors open completely changed the entire path that Shay was on just because of this motorcycle trip. And I think too, like Alberto ends up just becoming like a full-time doctor, right? He's like, yeah. Cause I think at one point they don't actually, the end of the, there's no real like sort of uh concrete conclusion other than, you know, for me at the end of the book, it's like they get on an airplane plane and that sort of sing singles, uh, sorry, signal sort of the end of the adventure is like when you're getting on a plane right and it's yeah. time it's time to like time to go home but like alberto becomes like a doctor shay eventually finishes his med school right um but then based off what he saw and you're very much right based off of his experience and what he saw what he sort of observed what he witnessed you're absolutely right he's like no i can't just be a doctor i have to be something i have to be something more mm-hmm. right and that's where that sort of uh He's very much has like that social thinking, right? And about about the community, about the group, and he do, he doesn't really have like this individualistic approach, right? He's sort of, uh, I think, for me, I get the sense that he's like answering a call. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's almost like it all was kind of meant to be for him. You know, like the adventure and seeing the people and the way he treats the lepers. And then like you pointed out with this like military prowess, understanding, you know, the, the purpose of these, of these fortifications and everything, like he really fit the bill for this. And this trip just kind of showed him how much that worked for him. And there was a quote that I, I really, really liked that I think really reflected it. 
Uh, he says, the person who wrote these notes passed away the moment his feet, feet touched Argentine soil again. The person who reorganizes and polishes them, me, is no longer. At least I'm not the person I once was. All this wandering around, our America with a capital A, has changed me more than I thought. And it just kind of shows that he, you know, like didn't intend to be a changed person. He just went out on a trip. And then by the end of it, he kind of realizes when he came back, like, oh, maybe my path is different now. Like I've become a new man. And like, I really got to hand the guy to have that much self-awareness, For sure. you know, and because a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot of people, but I'm going to speak very generally. Like you can see in hindsight People that are close to you, whether it be friends or family, coworkers, that something occurred and they don't necessarily see the own, their own change taking place. But you can see like, oh, because of X, sort of Y was able to happen, right? But like Shay's very much aware of like his own sort of algebra, right? He's like, okay, yeah, I went and did this thing and I'm definitely different coming back. Like he understood and he was able to see the change in himself, right? And so like that's very... It's very entertaining, uh, but also sort of like, I think uplifting is the wrong word, but I'm going to say uplifting because you can sort of see him observe the changes in himself. And I think there's there's definitely something that draws you to that sort of like personality, right? That's really inspiring, you know, and it it probably also helped him be a public figure, you know, like especially... Like you said, that self-awareness is, is quite rare, especially at 25, man. If I think back to being 25, which, I mean, for me, obviously not that long ago, being 31 now, but, like, the th things I experienced back then when I look at them now and I'm like, oh, that was a significant moment. You know, I made a shift. But, like, I'm looking at it six years later and being like, that's kind of where this started. But at the time, I had no idea that that's where it was starting. I was It was just another moment in my life. And I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Whereas, like you said, for him, he did this and was was very aware of the fact that this is this is a, a turning point for me. I don't necessarily get the sense that at that point when Shay's becoming a new person and he's really going to like lock down on his ideals and really run with it to the point where he's like overthrowing governments with Fidel. I don't get the sense that that occurred to Alberto. Yeah, like, absolutely. Alberto's very much a flat character. There's, there isn't really. We don't get the sense that there was a lot of growth. We, I kind of get the sense that Alberto was not necessarily along for the ride, but I think Alberto was on a vacation where yeah. Shay was on a trip. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it would be interesting to know what happened to Alberto after all of this because I have no idea. You know what kind of character he became, but. Yeah, you can definitely tell. I mean, although we are, it is a little bit one-sided because we're reading Shay's inner thoughts. Like, I don't even know if Alberto would have been entirely aware that Shay was going through this change because you're reading these thoughts that he has in his diary, but I don't know how much he expressed them at the time or if their trip was just two buddies having a good time and it wasn't until later down the road that Alberto was like, oh, you're like becoming a, a significant person in history. Whereas, like, he might not even have realized it because Shay might not have been expressing it. So who knows what was happening in Alberto's head that, that we might not get because you would only get it from what Shay knew of his friend. I think the sense that I got, and there's definitely some moments in the passages 
where Alberto was very much sort of like research oriented, like when they go to the leper colony, right? He's, I think Shay was definitely present, right? With the lepers, you know, and you already uh, mentioned that earlier in this podcast about like really humanizing with these lepers. But I got the sense that Alberto was there for the facts on the paper. Like, I don't, I don't think Alberto was necessarily cold, Mm to the patients in the leper colony. But more clinical almost. Yeah, right? Because I think he was there for the research, right? Mm-hmm. And he was very much about expanding that network through through the uh, letters of reference, right? And very very much leaning on the fact that he was a doctor and that they were doing this research, right? So I wonder if he became a successful character in the medical community afterwards. I don't know. That'd be, you know, be that's, worth a, looking that's into. definitely another book to read or at least, you know, an essay at the very least, right? Yeah, for sure. It'd be interesting to see. Because they would, I mean, at even, you know, Shay's path aside, they would have been at this interesting point, especially along the lines of research of leprosy and like having this firsthand experience and all of that. Like it, it definitely could have led to a unique career. Um, and especially like the way that they, the way that they handled it at these, at these leper colonies reminded me a lot of uh, Dr. Oliver Sacks. You know, the way the neurologist and the way he treated patients in this very interpersonal connection and treating them more like human beings than patients, you know, and he went on to be a revolutionary neurologist and wrote a bunch of phenomenal books because of his personal connection and his own struggles and all of that. So who knows? Maybe Alberto's a character that is in his own world, very significant, and we just don't know. I'd have to add that to the list for a future series if he ever wrote a book. Another thing that uh, this like that really made me appreciate this book is trying to pick a top quote for the intro. Like in you know by page forty, which is really only page five because you know the first thirty-five pages are the preface and the foreword and uh, you know the notes from his daughter and all that. So like five pages into Shay's actual writing, I I there was like four sections where I was like, this would all work as like a top quote for the intro. It was very, it was very rich. Yeah. The the entire, the entire book was very rich. Like Mm -hmm. it's not, he's not hitting home runs every page or every paragraph, but I think there's definitely, uh, it's written really well. Shay is a fantastic writer, right? And he's very poetic, right? Like the way, very poetic and romantic, the way he expressed things. There's a scene where he's talking about the, the ocean and like how it, he writes it as if the ocean is a very good friend of that listens and and always gives you good advice and can always like relate to what you're saying and it's like i mean we all love sitting at the ocean but i've never thought of it that way you know like to me it's always just been i love sitting at the ocean cuz it's so massive and like i don't even i've never thought about it as the as the relation as a friendship you know whereas me it's always just been like it's so massive it makes me feel so small whereas he writes it as if it's this close connection to a best friend that he can tell all his secrets to and never tells anyone else and all of this you know like and it was like just reading it i'm like wow and again i was reading that sitting at the ocean like the sun had gone down almost gone down it was like dim lighting i'm sitting there listening to the waves reading Che Guevara's. uh understanding and relationship with the ocean. I was like, I was almost like gives you goosebumps. Like this is such a cool scenario. And the way he expresses it is just so poetic. When you describe them in, in those kinds of terms, it's very sort of interesting to me that he was pursuing uh, like a medical doctorate. Right. Right. Cause that's very much science is very like science is 
objective, Mm -hmm. right? It's this is that, that is this, right? You know, it's not, there's no metaphor in medicine, right? There's no metaphor, there's no metaphor or there's no allegory, right? It's sometimes we use metaphor to describe certain like bodily processes, right? But for the most part, like it's, if you've read anything to do with like uh, psychology, medicine, anything like that, it's like pretty cut and dry. Yeah. And so thinking about Shay's sort of education up into the point where he departs on the Ponderosa two with Alberto and the writing that we're getting in his diaries, it's almost like he was in the wrong profession from the get go. But I think, I think that sort of adds to his unique character that he was pursuing this, this medical degree. Right. But like, you can almost sort of like cut out the passages uh, with the lepers. You, you wouldn't even necessarily do that. You could erase the fact that he was becoming a medical doctor and there's nothing really in his, in the writing. I think you could probably make that argument that if you didn't know that he was a doctor, this collection, this diary wouldn't necessarily illuminate that fact. Cause there's some times where you would like read writing and then you know, like, Oh, this guy's definitely a psychologist. This guy's mm-hmm. definitely this. Right. And you get that sense. Right. So it, it seems like his writing is somehow divorced in a good way from like the objectiveness that you would, that you would need to possess to be a doctor. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, anyone that's listened to any sort of like medical science podcast, it's never fun. <laughs> like, you know, it's right. like you get great information, but it's always very matter of fact and to the point. There's no, you know, ambiguity or anything like that. It's always like, these are the facts. Cause I, I was reading this book and I would forget that he was a doctor mm-hmm. and for, and I would always sort of remember that Alberto was, was the doctor. Right. But mm-hmm. I'd forget that Shay was also like a student and he was becoming a doctor. Right. And like, it was something that I would forget until they would speak about doing like the, the introductions with like the reference letters or sort of the, the article they had in the newspaper that was written about them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I, I would forget that he was a doctor. Right. Yeah, he almost felt like the doctor thing was a tool in the tool belt that he yeah. could use as a way to work his way through this adventure, you know? And he didn't really lean on it as much. Like you said, Alberto felt like the doctor, and he leaned on that a lot more as as his identity, whereas Shay's identity kind of forms through the book. It's uh, also, I, I like that, you know, we refer to him as Shay, and that's, you know, Shay Guevara is this, like, huge, you know, it's, everybody knows that title. But it's it's funny that, Shay is pretty much dude, you know, like it's like a, they talk about how it's such a common nickname back then, like in Argentina, like Shay was just kind of like buddy, dude, whatever. Yeah, like it's, it's like not a bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a guy, you know, it's not, yeah. a, it's, it's not a significant title at all. And, but it's become Shay Guevara. It, like he created this iconic name with it, but um, it's interesting. They talk about in the book, in the in the preface um how he understood like he didn't really take Shay as to have a bunch of meaning he kind of took it as as the loose kind of unimportant term that it was and they said like once he had gained some power i think he had to sign like a bunch of bank paperwork or something at one point when he was in control of of quite a few things and he instead of putting his name he just wrote Shay <laughs> Because he just like this general disdain for like banking and the financial network and all of that. And he was just like, no, it just wrote Shay, which isn't at all his name. It's just like if I wrote 
guy or like buddy, you know, on, yeah. on this significant Bro. legal paperwork. <laughs> and yeah, it's just like he just uses this as like, I'm not an icon. This is not who I am. I'm not a you know, an important person. I'm part of the people, you know, and he reflects a little bit later on about um, the importance of that. And like the like the people that change the world aren't going to be you know, people in the cities that have money and are educated and they see this suffering, those people aren't, they're going to go back and take that home and use it as a way for self gain, you know? Um, whereas he, th- he always thought that the way that you change the world is to give that education to the people that are living the suffering, you know, because unless you've really personally felt it, like he wasn't like, I'm coming from where I'm from and I'm going to lead all these people to salvation. He was like, we need to go to these people and give them some power and some education and allow them to bring themselves to salvation. You know, it's like, you can't gift this to them. I'm not the the shepherd. You know, it was like, we need to let them get themselves there. And like, he had a, a really solid idea of the fact that I don't make this happen. You know, I give the opportunity to the youth now to build that for themselves, which I thought was really unique. Do you think that this book is for everyone? Like, who do you think this book is for now, right? Because definitely you could walk it into any sort of franchise bookstore and you could find a copy of The Motorcycle Diaries by Che Guevara, right? Translated into any number of languages. Mm. But like, who do you think is buying this book now? I think that this book, it works for a lot of people, you know, like, even more so than our first book. This like like you don't really have to care about motorcycles. Like the the motorcycle does play a big part in the first half, but there's no technical jargon at all, you know. Um, and it it's just kind of a fun part of the adventure. And like we said, you know, his later political role doesn't really play a factor in this. So you don't need to be a historian or care about politics at all. Like. If you are into motorcycles, this book works for you. If you're into history and the politics of who Che Guevara became, this book works for you because you get a unique look at it. But if you're just someone that doesn't care about either of those things and you just want an enjoyable book to read, this book is great. You know, like I had a fun time. I read it twice in a row over eight days because it's a fun book to read. You know, there's so many like just unique, weird experiences that happen and there's you know, like you said, there isn't really an end where you have to, you get to the end and you're like, oh yeah, I understand the meaning. It's, it's just fun to read, you know, like it's, it kind of feels like you're on the adventure with them just doing this trip. It's just an enjoyable, lighthearted book that you can get some deep meaning from if you really want to reflect on it that way, but you could just blast through this. And it's also, it's another short book. You could blast through it pretty quick and it's, it's just enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think this book is bonking you over the head yeah. with politics. Yeah. It definitely... It's definitely left-leaning, obviously, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But like coming off of the heels of a short history of the motorcycle with Richard Hammond, that book is like very almost apolitical, right? Yeah. Like I don't get any sense of Richard Hammond's politics, and I don't think that there's there's certainly not an agenda or there's some like no stuff aside th- from the occasional jab at like other countries, yeah, which is like a very British humor thing, like right, you know, like oh the Americans also tried to do it, but they're Americans, yeah, that's you right, know, like but that's it. But I I don't think that this book is like trying to bonk you over the head with some sort of ideology, right? Like, it's definitely, it's there, and it's in, you know, and you can see, like like we discussed earlier, right? Like, you can see Shay's sort of, like, growth and change, right? 
uh, to sort of like social thinking. But it's not, I, I don't think it's something that you should feel threatened by if you don't necessarily agree mm-hmm. with Shay's politics, yeah. right? Or you don't even have to understand who he is, really. Like you could read this with no idea who he is. You'd get a little bit of it um, from what they write early on. And even if you, even if they didn't have that, you could just read this just from his diary portion, and it's, it doesn't, doesn't preach anything. There's no propaganda. You don't have to like understand or agree with his belief system. But that's why I was saying earlier, like I like that this is just this original adventure. It fits our podcast really well because any of the other writing, like I, I think there was like eight other books that are like collections of his writing later on after this and after that you would really get into the propaganda and the political leanings and his you know his uh lack of respect for you know the united states and the power they hold and the the way that he believed they were oppressing the rest of the world you would really get political whereas like if it had been all of that as a whole it would be a different experience whereas just this portion itself is really easy to read and enjoy and you can look at it deeper if you want or not and just enjoy it a lot of the passages, a lot of the diary entries are apolitical, right? But there there definitely is, a, like I'm thinking the moment when uh, they're near some copper mine and there's like an old woman that can like, that's fell ill or something and like can barely support herself. Like in moments like that, you definitely see like the socialist sort of uh, angle come out of Shea, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of the passages are pretty apolitical, right? He's like man, we did this thing and the bike broke down, but the view is really cool. And then we got drunk, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how every adventure ended with getting drunk. And yeah. then every adventure started with, uh, I believe it's pronounced mate, M-A-T-E, that like tea beverage yeah. that they drink in the morning, like religiously through the whole adventure. But yeah, and even in that moment where they see that old lady in the copper mine, even that doesn't get too political. You know, it was, it was neat the way he looked at it and kind of understanding people's suffering, but he kind of looked at it more as a way to benefit their adventure, you know, like, cause they were struggling at the time also and had very little food. Like oftentimes they're like begging people for food or swindling people out of food or whatever, you know, leveraging their letters of reference to try to get into a scenario where they can get as much food as possible. So he, it's, you could tell that he kind of looked at it and he was like, Oh, we're, you know, in hard times right now on this trip, but there's, we're surrounded by people that are dealing with worse and not because they decided to go on an improvised, (laughs) like poorly funded trip. It's because this is where they live. You know, and I like that about the book because he's just like, he gets sick, you know, like right away, like almost immediately he's got to go spend like a few days in the hospital, you know, like, and he's got like chronic asthma and he's either, eating adrenaline pills or doing injections just so he can like breathe. Yeah, like this yeah. guy had no business no. hopping on a motorcycle with a friend and like, oh, let's just go check out all of South America, yeah. you know? And so that's that's one thing that I really sort of liked starting this book is like, you know, the stuff with Cuba, right? And you know, like he's a militaristic figure, but like it, it doesn't have, there's not like this weird machoism, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there's like, there can be a lot of machoism and masculinity wrapped around riding a motorcycle, right? Mm-hmm. And you just it just does not exist because no. he just he doesn't have like the physical fortitude, right? Because he's just like he's always getting sick, you know? Yeah, it's sick and dealing with his asthma and they're struggling with the bike and like Yeah, it's and it's really cool to see that side of him. And to be honest with you, I didn't even know that he was a physician before until I read this book. You know, I 
that was entirely new to me. So just right from the start, you're like, oh, this is just a totally different character than I would have understood because we always see this like militarized revolutionary of guerrilla warfare, you know, this like army man. But like you said, we see this like fragile, sick, asthmatic Shay on this adventure. And he's just always struggling, can't sleep and all of this. Like it's it's wild, man. It's a it's a whole new experience of the character. I think it's I think it is a good we've kind of summarized our feelings on it. I think it's a good time to to give it an octane rating. Uh, where are you at on this? This book I enjoyed more than I expected to. And I do my best to remain open, especially this one, because you know it it's it's such a politically charged uh, historic figure. Like Shea Guevara is very politically charged, right? So when I started this book, I was really worried that this was just going to be like the Communist Manifesto, like 2.0. You know what I mean? Like I thought this was just going to be another iteration of everything Karl Marx and Engels wrote about, right? Which is very much not the case. So going in, I was like ready to give this like an 87 octane, right? right? And I wasn't like thinking about it too heavy, but I think after sort of like going through the diaries and sort of like letting it digest over like a slow, it's not like I didn't read this book. Uh, You could probably read this book in like a couple of days, right? You could almost read this entire book in one day, like a nice calm Sunday, right? Yeah. So I read this book over like several days and I took like a, a kind of a break in between. And I think that it's still sort of like kept up my motivation to, to like get through the book and finish reading it was kept up as soon as I would start reading another passage. I was like, Oh yeah, this is like fantastically written. So like it never felt like work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm going to give this the one like a 91 octane rating. I'm, I'm absolutely with you on that. I almost wanted to say a 94. I can't think of any time I was reading the book where I felt like I was missing information I would have liked or, you know, like it was too political or not political enough. It it was it was fun. It's lighthearted. You can get a lot more out of it if you want. And and especially this version, you know, with everything in the forward, they kind of underhand a lot of the information you you would like to know of his character in the future. So even if you don't know uh, Che Guevara as Che Guevara, they kind of softball that to you. So you can you can have that. You know, they give you a couple of quotes that you can reflect on and they point out a couple of things to you. So even if you're not educated about who he became, you still have just enough information to appreciate this journey in that way. Not just as a motorcycle trip. You have just a little bit of information to appreciate the importance, you know, of the impact that he's that he sees with the with the suffering of these people. And it's they don't preach it to you, they give you just enough. And then the note from his daughter, is, it's just a nice touch, you know, because she even says that she didn't understand him that much or even know him that well. And you kind of get that she learned about him through the book. And it's all short enough. They give you just enough information to be like, oh, I'm really interested to see how this goes. And then you get into it. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't preach the socialism to you. You know, it's, it's, there's no propaganda that's just a really wholesome book. I had a really good time reading it. Like I said, I read it twice in eight days and I would probably read it again, even like down the road, go back. And it really made me excited to read more of his diaries for the future. Like 
I would never consider myself to have been like, oh, I really want to know about Che Guevara. I was like, that's a unique character. It's pretty interesting. I might listen to a podcast about him, but I never found myself like that motivated to read the things that he wrote. And after reading this, I really enjoyed this book. And I also was just so excited to read more, which is, I love that about a good book is when you finish it, you're not like, okay, that experience is over. Like you're like, well, and now what? Like what, where can I go with this and continue this journey? There's definitely more that I could sort of get out of rereading this book again. And I think it's something just because, uh, and you summed it up quite well, like it's, uh, I don't feel really like obliged to sort of like necessarily read this book cover to cover again. But I think this is a book that you could sort of like pick up and flip to a diary entry mm. and just appreciate that diary entry in its individuality, right? And I don't think that you necessarily need to read this book. Don't get me wrong. It's very much a, a narrative and you should read it from start to finish. But like after you kind of get like that initial, the initial read on it, you can go back and you can read individual entries separate from other ones mm. and still have a really good reading experience. Yeah, I'm really excited about all the sections I put stars beside on here because I can just pop this open, flip through, find a couple, you know, noted paragraphs and read them and be like, ah, you can get that grasp, you know, of, of his character and and the, the romantic style of his writing and just enjoy a paragraph on its own without the context, just because of how well he wrote it. I actually got a section uh, tagged off there. I never want to read it because it's super funny to me and I'm sure you'll find it funny too and I'm gonna probably uh bastardize the the pronunciation here but this is like the buffio the buffio fish oh right <laughs> so I'm gonna read this here this is just giving you a, t a bit of a an odd selection an odd taste of what you could encounter in the motorcycle diaries so this is the this is the paragraph there was a very rare pair of fish where we swam called the uh, called by the locals uh, Bufio. Legend has it that they eat men, rape women, and commit a thousand other acts of violence. Apparently, it's a river dolphin, which among other strange characteristics has genitals similar to those of a woman. So the Indians use it as a substitute, but they must kill the animal once they finish coitus because the genital area contracts and the penis cannot come out. <laughs> It's just a strange note out of nowhere in the book, right? But it's, again, it's just a part of like the reality of like when you're traveling the world, you see weird parts of different cultures, you know? And it's, I'm sure to him, that was probably shocking. You know, you're like, hold on. They what? Yeah. <laughs> like they, they fuck dolphins? Yeah. yeah. And then kill them. Yeah. They left that out of that Blackfish documentary. <laughs> Well, and that's sort of like, uh, there's like a larger myth that like mermaids were actually just like dolphins and that sailors would like just bang the dolphins. I have not heard that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was a whole, so this just sort of like lends credence to that whole myth. Right. But right. like I said, it was sort of like, uh, something that I found necessary to share with everyone on this podcast. So sorry, <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> There was so many sections that I marked off that I was like, oh, I could read this and I could read that. And it's just to give people a taste. But I, I think it's like I would recommend this to anybody to read for the journey or even just for the appreciation of good writing. Like, like I think a 12-year-old could read this book. For sure. And I don't necessarily know that they would uh, 
there's definitely some moments with like uh, the language or the diction that he that he employs. Um, but I think a 12-year-old could definitely read this book and have a good time with it, right? I like that you went directly from the uh, paragraph about fucking dolphins to I think a 12-year-old could read this book. Well, that, <laughs> like, man, if I was 12-year-olds reading this book, like, I would just get a kick out of that. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? for right? sure. So I have a couple buddies that I will probably recommend this to or lend to just because it's it's short. Like, people that don't tend to read that much, it's short. So it's easy to get through, and the writing is is just such high quality for someone that's not that wasn't re- intending to write a book. You know, like you can really appreciate his writing. There's lots of humor. I think this is a book that, if you don't tend to read a lot, you could read and be like, you know what? I think I could do this more just because it's enjoyable and and funny. So, how do you think that this is going to impact our reading list going forward? Well, I'm you know I'm actually glad we didn't really intend to put it this way on the schedule, but I'm actually really glad that we got this one in so early because we do have uh, two others. Uh, actually, we have three others that are motorcycle adventures, specifically Dreaming of Jupiter, One Man Caravan, and Lone Rider, right? And all of those would have happened after this. So it's kind of neat that it, would have, it, it wouldn't really have done it justice to do it afterwards and bounce back to this. Now you kind of have this experience of someone that did it so early before you really had the resources that we have nowadays. And even then, all of the other books we're reading are still quite a bit later, like anywhere from, you know, 1970 to 1990 kind of thing. So even then, they had a lot less than we have now. But you get this, like, rough, rugged, you know, inexperienced adventure of two guys that were largely unprepared for a motorcycle trip. And you get that that version of it and then later on we get into people that went on a motorcycle trip specifically to like circumnavigate the globe like this is the goal the very prepared very experienced riders they're doing it on their own motorcycle you know like they've got more gear but we get this one to start with where it's just an absolute gong show (laughs) as far as a motorcycle adventure goes and i think you really sort of observed something really important about like shay and Alberto and just sort of that spirit when they're working on the bike, like, okay, we're going to do this trip. And I think if you never knew anything about Shay and his sort of future with Fidel and the revolution in, in Cuba, if you were just like interested in motorcycles, maybe you had a motorcycle and maybe you just didn't have that sort of like uh, history in your back pocket, you could see this title and I think you could pick it up in a bookstore and maybe like read the back, right? And go, whoa, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I think you would be pleasantly surprised. And so I think it's something that is very much going to, I, I feel without without having read too many of the other books, I think this is sort of going to be like a good a good post where you can like reference it back, right? right like this right. is This is going to be like a good sort of, uh, sort of like a literary landmark where you can go, oh, like, remember when this happened in the Motorcycle Diaries? Mm. And I think you can definitely, I think we'll be able to trace a line back. So for us, I think it was sort of fortuitous that we're kind of reading these books in the order that we are, because I think that as we go through the rest of this podcast season, I think we're going to have like a much richer experience if if these would have had been organized in a different way. It, it does kind of line up chronologically, right? Like, the short history of a motorcycle, you get the motorcycles right from the very beginning. You know, it talks about the first circumnavigation of the globe, 
And then we go, you know, into this adventure, which was a very, very early one. And then I can't remember the dates of the rest. I remember Ted Simon's original trip was in 1970. So we get a lot of that in Dreaming of Jupiter. You know, it's we kind of build up from here. And like you said, there's a lot of times we're going to be able to look back and be like, oh, they did this. And maybe they they cross some of the same parts of the world or have similar experiences with the bikes. And we can be like, oh, that kind of relates to or touches back on and and I think I think we're really gonna have we have a strong foundation here with our first two books. Before I say what we're gonna read next, I should just say that uh, I think we just got these copies off Amazon. Mm-hmm. They weren't they weren't very expensive. They were like under twenty bucks plus shipping, right? And uh, the copies that we were reading, uh, just published by like Seven Stories Press out of New York. So, I mean, this has been like printed and reprinted, and you know, and uh, and been translated again. So I think this is like. There's, there's not exactly like a pure copy, right? I'm sure there is. Like if you wanted like the absolutely most like pure experience, like you would read it in, uh, is it Spanish? Yeah, Spanish. So like keep in mind, like this is a translated copyright and it's been like printed and reprinted, right? But uh, next after this, we're reading One Man Caravan. And I didn't know nothing about this book. So yeah. this is going to be well, we've got brand new experience. 291 octanes so far, right? I think that's what I gave uh, Short History of a Motorcycle. Yeah, I do believe so. Uh, so... It, who knows with the next one we could go into it and be like this is terrible you know <laughs> which i kind of think about it, i'm like man i don't want to give everyone everything 91 94 but also i'm like i hope none of the books are just awful yeah yeah so for sure we'll see how it goes but i mean for us i think we're gonna have a solid appreciation of all of them because we ride motorcycles so maybe that's gonna help a little bit whereas someone that's not as interested in the motorcycle portion might be like well the book wasn't that great because they can't connect to the the, the, the adventure part but again, this is another one that we have got two copies of. So as usual, you know, if anyone's interested to borrow or maybe trade, if you've got an idea of a book we should do for the future, we can kind of trade books here. I mean, mine's autographed, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll lend you my copy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it from here. Any, any sort of final thoughts on The Motorcycle Diaries by Ernesto Che Guevara, De La Serna? I don't think so. Um, I think I'm in a, like, I'll definitely be going forward and reading. Probably once we're done the season, we have a bit of a break to read books that aren't podcast related. I'm, I'm going to read some more of his writings, some of the more political stuff. And uh, I'd like to kind of look in on Alberto and see what happened there. That's kind of the two things that I'm, I'm looking forward to from this point. And uh, I'm also kind of hoping that I go on my Brazil motorcycle trip and revolutionize the world now. <laughs> <laughs> I think this book is definitely definitely accessible by any number of readers, right? And I think you're going to extract what you're going to extract. And I don't think that you have to have any apprehensions or expectations reading this book. I think you can definitely approach it with any sort of angle that you want. And I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And I think you're going to be very appreciative of Che Guevara's writing style. Yeah, for sure. And like under 200 pages so it's a quick read it's like we said it's an enjoyable read the whole time through you never feel like you're like okay i want to get through x amount of pages before i stop i was i always found myself like even a couple days just super hungover and like most of the time probably would be like i don't want to strain my eyes to focus on a book i just want to lay in the sun and (laughs) probably get another drink but every time i opened this i was always like i'm just gonna start reading and i'll just i know i'll just keep reading so I think with that, if you want to get a hold of me, just Jonah Condro on Instagram at Jonah Condro. That's the best way to probably get a hold of me. A uh, hold of me. Uh, myself, Enlightened underscore Dirtbag on Instagram, be the best way to get a hold of me. 
that'll we'll probably start posting a lot of the stuff from the podcast on there as well. So if you just have general thoughts about the podcast, you know, once this is released, we'll be uh, three episodes in. So you might have some thoughts, some criticism, maybe. Hopefully, keep that to yourself. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, you know, it's always nice to communicate if people want to give us book ideas or if you've read a book that we've covered here and you want to share your thoughts on it, that's, you know, we're always open to that. It's always nice to get a new perspective on things. Maybe one of you out there has read this and you actually, you know, understand Che Guevara quite well. Maybe this is something you've been interested in for a while and you can kind of, you know, give us a new viewpoint that we didn't consider. We'd always be happy to hear. 